Well, good morning. Everybody hear me okay? Awesome. Now, Mike, I may have to, I may put you, uh, make you earn your paycheck this week because my volume will change. All right. Fair warning. Fair warning. Uh, well, good morning. It's so great to be here uh, from myself, my wife, and our son, Ryan. Uh, thank you for the love and the welcome that you've shown us uh, in the past few, well, past week and a half, really, that we've been here. Um, really haven't seen the pastor much. I'm not sure what he's doing, but, uh, but no, it's uh, been a great pleasure to get to know Pastor Matt. Uh, obviously not this week, uh, but uh, just in the weeks of getting to know him and his family, uh, the love that they've shown us um, and just expressed to us. Um, and just this morning, walking down the hallway and the, the handshakes and the kind words and the affirmation, thank you uh, very much for that. Uh, this morning as we get started, I want to open us up in prayer. Uh, but to do that, I actually want to um, <clears throat> tell you about, uh, just briefly, um, and I decided I wanted to do this because it's a great testimony to, to the Lord. I wanted to tell you about my first Sunday here. Uh, after... All the voting was done after all the process, after, you know, everyone, all of us let our hair down, and, uh, and we realized uh, what the Lord was doing. Um, and that wasn't last week. It was actually the week before that, and I came by myself to, uh, to finish the uh, final paperwork and stuff for a place for my wife to live, my wife and I to live. And uh, while here, you know, came here to church, and we did worship like we do, and we did the offertory, and... Matt came up and gave the message, and we prayed, and we, as we were getting ready to leave, a gentleman right there stood up, and he wanted to pray for Matt as he went to, um, went to overseas to serve. And I want to bring that up because I want to tell you that Sunday was unlike any Sunday I'd experienced in, in church in a long time, because I realized three things that Sunday, in that moment alone. First off, is you love your pastor. And that is incredible, even by today's standards. Even in our church, there's a lot of dysfunction, there's a lot of quarreling, there's a lot of fighting. But Northside loves their pastor. Secondly, Northside loves to pray. And if you don't, well, you gave me that impression. And so we're going to pray quite a bit. You love to pray. And thirdly, you love me and my family. Whew. I usually don't get like this. Whew. My apologies. <clears throat> and I thank you for that. So this morning I want to pray for Matt as he recovers. I want to pray for our community and our families here in Columbia. Columbia is much like the community my wife and I grew up in. Uh, we are small town folks. Uh, you know, my, my class was a whopping class of 32 graduates. Go Porter's Chapel. Um, and, uh, and so this is definitely feels like home to us. And we're very happy to make it our home. So we want to pray for the community here. And I want to pray for you, Morside, for the love that you've given me as a thank you to you uh, before we get started this morning. So... Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord God, 
how thankful we are, how undeserving we are, God, that you would love us so much. God, we thank you for the return of Pastor Matt to us, to his family. God, what a joyous reunion that was yesterday, I'm sure. God, we thank you for that. Lord, we pray for his rest. We pray that he would find time to get rested up to come back to us this week. Lord, to teach us. Lord, for him to even learn. God, we pray for what he's learned while he was gone. That he can share those experiences with us and with others to further the work of your kingdom. Lord, we just pray for his health. We pray for his recovery. Lord, we want to pray for this community of Columbia, Tennessee. God, we are thankful that you've placed us where you've placed us here, in the jobs that you have us, in the homes and the families that you have us. God, there are many more that don't have a church home, that don't know you. And God, we pray that they would come to know you, that they would come to find Northside or even another church, Lord. That they would come find a community and a fellowship as loving as the one we have here so that they can experience your love and your mercy firsthand and be as thankful as we are in our hearts for every blessing that you've given us. Lord, for, for my family, Lord, I thank you for the men and women present in this room and for those that couldn't be with us today and for those that are online. I thank you that they are so willing to serve you. Lord, I am excited to see what you have in store for Northside Baptist Church. Though there will be days where it's tiring, there will be days where that are longer than others. God, I am excited and I am so very thankful. I pray for their strength. I pray for those of us that need healing with illness. Lord, I ask that you would just be with these people and pour out your blessings and your mercy upon them. God, thank you for bringing us together. God, thank you for making us a family. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, and all these people said, amen, amen. So this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. And if you would and are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Chapter 26, starting in verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerah. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me, because of Rebekah, because she was so attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. 
how then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all of the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. You may be seated. So, at least for my generation, uh, there was a very interesting um, set of game shows that came about uh, when I was a teenager. Um, and you started to see these shows come up, and they, they all had this, this common theme. And the common theme was fear. Uh, there was show, one show in particular that most people know. I think it, there was a rerun that came on in, in 2011. I don't know if it's still going, but it was called Fear Factor. How many have heard of Fear Factor? Okay, most... Most of us have heard of it, so we kind of know the premise of it. And so there was Fear Factor. There was another one um, called, uh, um, I, I think it was Afraid of the Dark or In the Dark, I believe was the name of it. And these people would get locked in a room. They'd get blindfolded, put in this room, and they would be given tasks. They would be told before they go in the room, you have to complete these tasks. And they would be told, you know, there's like a spike pit or there's tigers in the corner or something crazy. Well, of course, none of that's true. And they'd lock them in this dark room, and they'd set them free to complete these tasks, but they think in any second a tiger's going to jump on them, or they're going to fall in a pit. Uh, a few times they actually had some pits in there with foam filled with them, so they would actually fall in there and, and get scared. And the whole point was to complete the task without getting too scared to do so. Um, another one was actually simply called Fear. And the show was based around haunted houses and haunted places and things like that. And they would take a group of four or five people and they would put them at nighttime in this place. And they would film them. They would have body cameras on. And they, I think, won like a couple thousand dollars or whatever it was for, for completing these certain tasks. They would get so much money. And some of them were like sitting in a room for 15 minutes alone and, and things like that. But these shows started popping up everywhere. And people started loving to watch these shows. People started to love to go participate in these shows. And it didn't take much. Offer them a little bit of money. Sure. I'll go be scared out of my mind. That's fine. I don't know about you. But I don't like that idea whatsoever. And actually, I'll be completely honest with you in, in my first uh, time talking with you. As big of a risk as it may be, because I can see pranks coming my way. But if I, Fear Factor is, is my least favorite of all those shows. And, and it mainly has to do with the bugs and the insects. Because um, oftentimes they let them crawl on their face and do weird things. Um, because I'm the one that if I walk into my upstairs bathroom and I see a spider on the floor, I'm going to walk out of the bathroom, call my wife, and go to my neighbor's house and live with him for a week or so until the, until the exterminator has come to, to take care of it. Uh, so much so that actually one time I had had a Bowflex, a piece of workout equipment for some time. I stored it at my mom's house in her barn for about a year. That was a bad idea. 
Because then I bring it home, and, and a Bowflex has these big hollow tubes. And in the hollow tubes, a few spiders had decided to make their home. And so I had gone to bed one night. Well, I woke up to one crawling on my neck. And so I sprayed Raid inside the, the Bowflex and went and slept in the recliner. And I got up the next morning and found four of them dead. Um, needless to say, I sold the Bowflex. Um, and that is now why I look like this. Um, thank you, spiders. So I don't like spiders. They're not good for my health. And so, but I bring up fear this morning. Um, one, to get us laughing, to get us to know each other, but also for us to know the story and know ourselves. Because I'm sure all of us in here can say that there's something that we fear. And if we think hard enough, it's pretty irrational. I mean, for the most part, my fear of bugs is just because they're creepy and they creep me out and I just don't like them. There's no legitimate fear of why I don't like them. And this morning we see a story of Isaac, son of Abraham. And we all know who Abraham is. And as we read through this story, I wonder if we see some similarities in their behavior. But before we get to that, I want to bring up some things of kind of what's going on at the time. So in the first five verses, uh, one through five, uh, if we look there, what we'll see is that at the time, there's actually a famine that's going on in the land. And so Abraham has since passed. He's, he's not with us anymore. And so it's just Isaac left. And so Isaac is, is trying to uh, be that fulfillment of the promise, which we'll see here in a second, that, that God made to his father. And so there's a famine that's gone through the land, and Isaac, of course, knows this. And much like his father, with the famine that his father went through, he has to figure out a solution. And so he begins to go uh, to Gera, where we find him, uh, but then the Lord stops him. And he says, stop right there. Stay where you are. Don't go any further. Do not go to Egypt. Now, obviously, Isaac was, was planning to go further, but the Lord persuaded him and said, Do not go to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I tell you. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give these lands and establish the oath I swore to your father Abraham. Now this verse 3 is key for the remainder of the story because this is where God makes a proclamation to Isaac. He says, I will be with you and will bless you. But imagine, Isaac most likely was wanting to go to Egypt if God was to tell him not to. Well, he's told to stop. That's not where he wants to be. And in fact, we see the same conflict with his father early on where God would tell him to stop somewhere and he'd say, wait. Even Lot had this issue, as we know, of wanting to stay where God had called him to stay. I'm not sure if it's a family trait, but there's definitely some issues here with him not wanting to stay. So God tells him, I will be with you and bless you, reassuring him, telling him that essentially if I'm with you, then it doesn't matter who is else comes to you or who you do not have. The very fact that I am with you is enough. And because I am with you, 
I will bless you. And I will restore and keep that promise that I made to your father, to you. I will multiply your offsprings as a star in heaven and will give to your offspring all the lands in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And so God has established with Isaac that he is going to continue to do what he promised to his father. And this is a reminder that even for us, there is a promised day that is coming. And it's going to come in God's time, in God's will. And Isaac is having to be reminded, as we often have to remind and be reminded, that it is in fact coming. But oh Isaac, but oh us, he still doesn't get it completely. Verse 6, he enters into the city. And when asked about his wife, Rebecca, he says, she is my sister. Now, I've never, even in the midst of fear, ever had the desire to pass my wife off as anyone but my wife. So much so that... Um, we used to have some friends joke, um, some students in particular used to joke because they didn't know her name, because I referred to her as my wife. And so I would never in my mind refer to her anything other than my wife. But when Isaac entered into the city, fear struck him so greatly that he told the most ridiculous lie. She's my sister. But she's anything but your sister. And we know that, and they'll soon discover that. What's even more striking is where we've seen this behavior before. And you want to remember his father Abraham. What's even more interesting is that Isaac wasn't around yet for either of the two incidents where this happens. In fact, the last time it happened, it was in the same location. My father took me hunting for years. As, as, I mean, just a tiny little fella. And he would always tell me how, we had these lean-to stands, he would always tell me how to climb up in the stand a certain way. And I would always do it, and then he'd tell me to climb down. Well, one of the things about the stands, they had this, we had burlap on them, just kind of camouflage them. It was part of, we had a lease, and we actually had to do it. Uh, we had to camouflage them. And so we put it up. But every time you climbed out, the way it was designed, we, we tried all kind of, we cut it and tried all kind of things. But it would oftentimes snatch the rifle off your back when you slung it. And it would pull it up over your head and like drop it on you as you're climbing down. Well, that's unsafe, but really and truly more, it was just annoying. And so I came up with a brilliant way to climb down. 
I would take the rifle in my, life, my left hand, and I would climb part way down, and imagine me standing, my feet are on like the fourth rung up, and I've got it in this hand, and I'm holding on to the, the foot, but now the rifle's in my hand. I'm not holding on to the stand at all. And then I would let go with this hand and quickly grab the ladder rung and then climb back down. Brilliant, right? Well, it was brilliant until I was about 20 years old, and one day I missed. And I reached again, and I missed twice. And the third time, I think, was just wanting to say I tried. I, I don't know, but I reached a third time. By that time, I was about two foot out. And I fell flat on my back, about 20 feet out of the stand, land on my back. Immediately sat up, didn't know where my gun was, didn't know where my glasses was, wasn't sure where I was. And got up and walked out, got to the truck where my brother was waiting, because by the way, I'd taken a deer that morning, and my brother was actually coming to the field when he heard the shot, so he turned around to go to the truck. And he wasn't going to bring it, he was waiting. And so I get to walk out. Um, I was not injured, I wasn't hurt at all. But I get to the truck, and I'm talking to my brother, and I look at him, I said, Justin, how tall is that deer stand over in Medler Left? He said, well, I don't know. About 20 foot. Said, about 20 foot? He goes, yeah, why do you want to know? He's kind of agitated with me because I was taking some time to get out of the woods. Imagine that. And I said, well, I fell out of it. And I just walk around and get in the truck. Um, and he said, you did what? And so we sat there and chatted. But what I discovered in that moment was Daddy used to always harp on me about that, by the way. He knew I did it. He saw me do it one day and fussed at me about doing it. Of course, that wasn't enough for me. But I thought he was just doing it because I was being a silly kid. No. He did the exact same thing. And he had fallen multiple times doing this same thing. About three, three times uh, is what my brother tells me. Doing the same thing. Now, I don't do that anymore, so don't worry. I'm not causing anybody lawsuits. Um, but I didn't know my father did that. That was just something I did. And maybe somewhere I watched him do it, I'm not sure. But I still did the same behavior. And it was simply just because I didn't want to have to face the consequence of the gun snatching over the top of my head and possibly dropping the gun on the ground. So I put my entire body at risk. I put my future at risk. Because if that fall had gone different, which by the way, there was a, there was a stump right behind my head, and you could see the impression, and there was a stump sticking that far off of it. And if I'd just been two inches back, not even two inches, but an inch back, it would have hit me in the back of the head, and there's no telling what kind of damage it would have caused. So God is gracious, and God is merciful. So we oftentimes do things, and we don't even know why we do them. But we're motivated by fear, we're motivated by selfishness, and in this moment, Isaac is doing exactly as his father did because of his fear. Because his whole motivation isn't for protection of her. He's going to offer her up as his sister. They are going to take her if they think she's pretty enough. But it says, lest they kill me because of Rebecca, because she's attractive in appearance. As though that's her fault. But don't we do that sometimes? 
Don't we look at others sometimes and we, we make comments and we say things about them as though it's their fault? What if he instead had helped Rebecca? What if he had been the husband and stood up and said, I will protect you. I will die for you. But instead he says, you will sacrifice yourself for me because the promise was made to me, Isaac. God's promise to me, I must keep. He's going to keep his promise to me. So the first question to have for us this morning, North Side, is who is it that we fear? God or someone else? Do we fear God more than we fear ourselves? More than we fear those that we are employed by? More than we fear anyone else? And that's not in the fear of being scared, no. It's out of respect. I respected my father very much, though, There were a few times, obviously, that I did not heed his warnings. But I respected him because of who he was. I respect my parents because of who they are. Do I step out of line? Absolutely. But I always make sure that they know that I love and respect them. So when I do wrong them, I go back to correct it. So who is it that we fear? Verse 8, when he'd been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of his window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. So they had been there, obviously, for some time, as the text says. And Abimelech, the king at the time, sees them laughing. Now, to address a few things, Abraham also, his father, came in contact with the king Abimelech. Now, the name Abimelech is actually just a kingly name. This is not necessarily the same Abimelech. It had been many, many years Many scholars do not believe this to be the same king. They actually believe it to be his son. So he too may know of the story of Abraham, not realizing the connection, but there's nothing to to say that he does. But nonetheless, we see Abimelech, king of the Philistines, look out of his window and saw Isaac and Rebekah, or saw Isaac laughing with his wife, Rebecca. Now, to clarify the term laughing, this term laughing that I see in my text, I'm not sure how many, some use different words, but this is not telling jokes. This is a play on words that the writer is taking here, he's taking some liberty here. To use the term laughing for intimacy between two married folks. So Abraham, or not Abraham, sorry, Abimelech walks out and he looks around and he might even be looking for her. Because his, most likely he could see all over and see through his courtyard and see throughout the town. And he sees her. 
with her brother, laughing. Now what's even funnier is this is also a play on Isaac's name. And when actually as one scholar so cleverly said, it's as though Abimelech says, I saw Isaac Isaacing. Now, I know it's fitting now, but even before I felt called to pastor, my friends often came up with a term called Preacher Ian where apparently I would get on a soapbox about something and I wouldn't come off of it until I felt satisfied. Now it's more theological. I guess that's a good thing if you like 15-minute rants on subjects. But they would call me Preacher Ian, and, but now it's just become who I am apparently. And so if we're at an event or we're somewhere and I'm talking to someone, and someone will walk up to my wife and say, where's Ian? What's he doing? And she'll say this. She'll go, oh, he's over there being Ian. Because it's who I am. It's who they know me to be. So when he sees Isaac, Isaacing, he knows exactly who Isaac is. He's her husband. Not only that, but he's a husband who lies. And said, oh, no, 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 no. She's my sister. And so he sees Isaac, and he sees Rebekah, and he confronts him. He says, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. We've already addressed Isaac and his selfishness in this statement. Well, let's flip it. What if we're King Abimelech? And you ask that question. Why would you lie? Why would you say she's your sister? Oh, well, because I thought you might kill me. My question to you might be, do you know me? Not only did you fall down on being a husband. But you've made a calculation about me that you don't know. Yes, I'm a Philistine. Yes, I'm a king. But you don't know me, and yes, you've spent some time in the city. But it doesn't mean you know who I am, and it doesn't mean you know our laws, and it doesn't mean you know who I am as a person. And yet you make this assumption of the people of not only me, but of my city. That if you admitted the truth, an honorable truth, that you're married, that we would kill you for your wife. Church, how often do we do that to others? That's a question for myself, too. And oftentimes I'll make assumptions about someone. I'll even ask a question. And I realize really quickly that I've assumed wrong. I got the pleasure of meeting some of the folks that live around me this past week. And let me tell you, there are many, many around them that have 
fantastic stories. And from the outside looking in, you wouldn't think are who they say they are and who they are. The gentleman next to me, funny enough, used to be a preacher. It's funny that I would land there at that townhouse and be neighbored next to him. I would never have known it if he just didn't casually pass it off in conversation yesterday. He doesn't preach anymore, but he just kind of said it in conversation, and I realized, and I would have never guessed it. But we make assumptions, don't we? And sometimes those assumptions lead to others assuming things about us. That's how, in today's world, Christians are seen as things other than what we are. Christians get bad labels. We get labeled bigots sometimes. We get labeled to be argumentative, non-loving. Why? Is it because we're bad? No. Is it because we're imperfect? Yeah. As we've been students the past few weeks, we've been talking about how do we have those hard conversations? Those conversations that they're going to have to grow up having because of the culture that is now in our world. The conversations their children are going to have to have with them about the way the culture is going. How do we have those conversations? How do we do it well? How do we be articulate? One of my mentors told me, when it comes to the word of Christ, we must be precise in what it means so that we can be precise in what we communicate. Because this world needs precision. Because everything nowadays is just whatever you want it to be. So we must be precise, we must know. And in this moment, Isaac is not precise. And in turn, Abimelech is. He's very, very much focused on understanding why someone would do this. And it hasn't even come to account of who Isaac represents yet. Verse 10. Benlik said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches him or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac not only protected his family, he isolated them from influence. They're out. Nothing to do with you. Abimelech once never addressed the fact that he was a believer, that he never addressed the fact that they were with God. He just knows he doesn't like him. When Abraham did this the second time, God actually came to King Abimelech in a dream. Again, different, different man, most likely, different king rather, most likely his father. But he came to him in a dream and he warned him about Sarah and Abraham. Because God's smarter than us.
but he lost his influence. See, the first thing, as I asked earlier, must be is who do we fear? But secondly, who is it that our actions say we represent? Who is it that our actions say we represent? Do we represent ourselves? Or do we represent Christ? Some would say, oh, that's not complicated. Just be a good person. I know a lot of good people. I'm not, you know, I'm not calling out anyone in particular, but I, I know a lot of good people. I myself used to say I was a good person. I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 14. I would have told you I was a good person. It's not about being good people. About being righteous people. It's about pursuing after God because He is the only one that is ultimately righteous. It's about pursuing after Christ and knowing more about Him and allowing God's Spirit to come in us and work through us. There's no act that we do can be righteous outside of Him because He is that source of righteousness. And in these moments, Isaac's actions did not represent God well. It is a shame, but it is the truth. So who is it that we fear? Man or God? Who is it that our actions say we represent? Thirdly, in verse 12, And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Then the Lord blessed him. God was still good, wasn't he? He got out of there safe, got out of there fine, and the Lord blessed him. And tonight we'll look at how that is that God blessed him and how that unfolds. The Lord kept his promise to Isaac as he said he would to Abraham. And this morning as we get ready to close, want us to be reminded of Isaac. There's not much said about Isaac. It really isn't. This is really the biggest taste we get of him. Uh, this and what we'll discuss tonight. The biggest taste of what we get of Isaac outside of his relationship with his father Abraham. And that's what we most know. We, we most hear uh, the sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac the man was very interesting. So today as we leave, I challenge you as I challenge myself. Let us walk in fear of the Lord, understanding that what we do is a representation of who he is and what he does to the world that doesn't know it. We know better. We know the text. We know that this is where we find our God. The world doesn't know that. The Bible may be the most printed book in the world. I've got three different languages in my office. No, I don't know them. But I have them. 
And yet, we still are that which represents God. So if we don't know our word, if we don't know him, if we don't saturate it in our minds and in our hearts and let it seep in, then when the world sees, they're going to know that we fear not God, but the temporal things of this world that will eventually fade away. And I love my grandfather, I lost my grandfather four or five years ago. But all his worries are gone. Everything he ever worried about, everything he ever feared, no longer a problem for him. Because he's with the Lord. But I'm here to tell you, he still had fears while he was here. He still had failings while he was here. But he loved the Lord very much so. And his Bible is one of the ones I have in my office as well. He loved the Lord. So today, church, let us walk in fear of the Lord. Let us understand that our actions represent him over us. And let us remember that God always fulfills his promises. So Jim, if you would come up, we're going to have an invitation. And if you would like to come pray, I invite you to come to the altar this morning to pray. If you would like to uh, come have prayer, I would love to pray with you. Um, and for you. Um, but this morning, if the Lord is leading you to come to pray, please do so. Um, if you feel like the Lord is calling you uh, to seek prayer, uh, please come. And uh, I would love to pray with you and talk with you this morning about any decision it is that you have this morning. So let's stand and uh, let's worship the Lord. anything else brother all right
Well, thank you so much for being here. I'll close this in prayer, and then you are dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for today. God, thank you for your word and for your message. Lord, uh, thank you again for bringing Brother Matt home. We pray for his recovery. And God, we look forward to meeting again uh, next week. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.